So I am sitting over here with Ron Mandel, my friend, who is a business development coach who is in the business of creating the right type of culture for the business environment. And so I thought that this would be an unbelievably interesting topic and interview to really get into the, no, the idea and the notion of what business essentially has to do with, uh, with the, 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 the right type of a culture and how do we develop that type of a culture because we, most of us grew up in a world that there's business is business and pleasure is pleasure and spirituality or or separation of church and state, etc. And so there's the notion of that separation between the business culture and we could say more of the humanistic aspect of things. And so this is where Ron, and I've got to really know Ron uh, from coming to um, uh, our house on... Uh, on several occasions and, and coming to uh, and, 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 and being a part of, of classes that, that, that we were given, giving. And so Ron is a tremendously insightful individual. And so I wanted to first, first of all say, Ron, welcome to Tzfat. And, uh, and I wanted to ask, first of all, I thought that I, I wanted to know how did you get into really this whole idea of business culture, business, you know, business coaching, and what was the catalyst? And if you could say a little bit about yourself on this. Uh, thanks for this opportunity and to all the people who are listening as well, that to be able to share with you, what does it take to be able to have a more fulfilled life at work and fulfilled life at home, because it's not that those two things aren't separate. My own personal journey in this, I've always believed that learning and growing was important. I did my undergraduate in engineering, which is definitely not humanistic, but I knew that somehow something was missing for me because give 10 engineers the same project, they're gonna come up with the same answer, and I didn't wanna work in a field where it was other people could do the same thing I could. The very first job I took, which fits to the culture, I worked for a town planning firm we were sent off to a project on the east, east coast of Canada, and as the expert, I was 24, 23 years old, what kind of expert was I really, we decided where the parks would go, where the community centers would go, where the roads would go, which houses would be moved. And I thought, you know, morally this wasn't fair to these people that I was making that decision and we didn't involve them. I understood also that it would be very complicated if you brought people together to try to figure out how, you know, where's the best place for the park. Um, so it was easier to say, well, the experts from Montreal made that decision. So I really was interested right from then to say, how do you learn to bring people together to be able to make decisions that are important to them rather than have it made for them? So for me, when I did my master's, I was looking at how do you plan with people rather than for people? And that's informed very much of what I believe in. And if I look at the work I do today, it's, organizations are much more complicated and they've changed a lot over the years. You can't tell people anymore. The old model was if you told somebody to jump, they would say, how high? Today they're saying, why? 
and I think we have a responsibility to let people have, have the bigger picture and help them learn and grow. So, in, in, in your opinion, what would the view of a corporation, because we've got corporations on all levels. We've got corporation, it could be an LLC, it could be, you know, a corporation. I mean, we're speaking about it on Friday night on Enron. They were hanging on their, you know, wall. Their, you know, the, the essence of what they're about or their mission statement is integrity, right? And they went, you know, and they did the exact opposite of that. But when, when, we, when we try to understand and scale the, the, this, this, you know, the corporations, um, you know, there's obviously a lot of different sizes of corporations. And so, you know, how do you see the differences between small businesses and, lo- and big businesses? You know, uh, it's an interesting question to think that there, in some ways there, there's a big difference. I think business is about people. And, and it's about how people feel in the business and how they're treated in the business. And if there's one insight I would share with people that to me is obvious, but it's common sense, but not common practice. If you want great customer or patient satisfaction, it's gonna be equal to how people are treated internally. If they're mistreated internally, they're ignored internally, there's no open communication, they feel marginalized, it ripples through the organization and ultimately it's the customer who's gonna, gonna feel that. The mistake a lot of organizations make, and it doesn't matter how big or small they are, that if they just train the people who deal with customers to say, smile, you know, the customer's always right. What about the employee being right? And uh, you know, if the customer is being abusive, or, you know, are they gonna get supported by management or ignored by management? So the issue of how people are treated internally and it doesn't matter whether that's a big company or a small company. That is part of the success and responsibility of organizations. What has changed in 2019, 2020, versus you know, 1980s when I started working, is that literally I remember working with General Motors and they said back then, we were the best managed company in the world. And I said, based on what? I said, based on our bottom line. We're so profitable, how can we not be managing well? Of course, they were comparing themselves to how well Ford was managed or Chrysler was managed, and neither of them were, were managed well. And it's only when Toyota came into the picture that their glaring mismanagement and their mistreatment came to light. I remember an example when I was working with them where an employee had made a suggestion, and, and his boss took that suggestion and said it came from the boss, not the employee. And that employee said, I'm never giving another suggestion. I don't, my job is not to make my boss look good. I, want, I think my boss is making, making me look good, especially since it was my idea. Toyota does that very differently. And of course, to the credit of General Motors, they've had to adjust and, and move away from this bureaucratic, autocratic model into a much more team environment where they're showing a lot more care to employees if they want employees to show care to the car. Because way back when, when I was a kid, you didn't buy a car made on Monday because these employees were not happy about working there and they sometimes deliberately left a screw in the, in the wheel rim just to kind of get even with management because of how they were treated. So small business, big business, people treated well, perform well, people, people uh, treated poorly will perform poorly. And that will impact ultimately whether it's a product or service uh, or healthcare, how it's delivered. 
So in your view of how a business is supposed to be um, operating, and, uh, and you've seen businesses in all over the world, you've seen businesses in China, in, you know, you told me about coming back from Egypt in the Middle East, right? And uh, India, et cetera, et cetera, and the US, of course. Um, what is the model of a, of, of, of a thriving business that's based on a happy culture uh, and the type of work that you do? Well, there's a couple components that are important to understand. First of all, leadership has to walk the talk. Uh, people read very clearly where people are saying, no, you need to change, but not me. Or, or you need to be accountable, but I'm not going to be accountable. So that's one thing. It's got to be something that people at the top are open to receiving feedback, just like they're willing to give feedback. And then the kind of feedback we talk about in, in the worlds that we're in today is around values. The old model, you could have rules and a job description to be able to manage somebody. And then, of course, if it didn't fit into your job description, then you just pass that on to somebody else whose job description it did fit. So you, as an employee, could have a certain level of making a decision, but outside of that level, you moved it on to someone else. And that was slow, because I can only make that decision, now I send it on to somebody else who's now got a pile of things that this is at the bottom of the pile, and then maybe they couldn't even make the decision have to move it to someone else, and that could have taken two weeks to be able to get a decision. And in a world, the kind of world we live in now where people are expecting quick responses, customer service not two weeks from now is not good customer service anymore, you've got to move that decision down to the people who are at the, at the front lines. So, but how do they make that decision? More on values rather than a job description or boxes you put them in. Uh, and there's legendary examples. So, so what are values? I mean, how, how, would, you, how would you explain uh, what values are? Because we understand what values are based on you know, educational systems that we particularly want to be in uh, or uh, religious environments, etc. But, but what does it mean? What does it mean of values to a, uh, you know, to a business? And I'll give you some examples of values, and I want to, before I even get into examples of values, behaviors are, are critically important to, to bring values to the ground so that you can actually measure them and coach somebody on it. Uh, because a value of respect, integrity, teamwork, innovation, those are high-level values. But we need behaviors of those in order to be able to hold people accountable. So if we're saying, if we just said, are you respectful? Everyone's gonna say, of course I am. But we need to have it specific. So an example of respect might be that I ask for people's input and I appreciate their input. And then we measure people. You know, Does Ron do that? How often does he do that? And do I feel on a one to 10 scale that you know, he asks for my input and appreciates it? Uh, another aspect of behavior of teamwork could be that uh, offering help to, to others in a compassionate and generous way. Do I do that? And, I, and I, not just within my team, but people that I work with, you know, that I interact with around my team or department, and we collect feedback then. So I may think that I am very respectful or I think I'm a great team player, but when I get feedback that I actually don't offer help to another uh, area, 
I'm, I'm not a 10 anymore. I, I, I may be a 10 in my eyes, but they're giving me a four. Now, how we use that to develop people is that's the job of the manager, to coach people. Ron, you got a four here. Uh, how can I help? What do you need? Whether it's specific training course, whether I can give you some feedback, maybe I'll sit in on some of your meetings to see where, the, where you could be offering more help so that people see that you're, you're there helping people. Uh, maybe we need coaching. Maybe we bring in an, ex an external coach. So to understand, what do I need to do to help you to be able to do that more? Uh, so at the beginning, if, if, we didn't, if we didn't talk about it before, then I can't hold you accountable for not being a great team player because we didn't define what teamwork was. So we go into organizations, big organizations, that journey can be six months where we, we have, as an example, with one hospital, uh, we, had a values <coughs> we had a values leadership team, and, which was cross-functional cross leaders. They came together, came up with the first draft of what the values would be. They took that back to their staff, came back to another meeting where we kind of refined it a bit. Uh, then we ended up, then we started to do behaviors. And then first iteration of behaviors, took it out to a wider group of people, came back, changed it again, then started to involve everybody in the organization. Everyone had an opportunity, 1,400 people had an opportunity to comment on those values and behaviors. We had an executive session where they had an opportunity to be able to shape the values and behaviors. And ultimately, through this iteration, iterative process, we came up with their new values. And in fact, in the next couple of weeks, I'm doing a train the trainer session where there's an all employee session, a four hour session we, we designed to take these concepts that people um, just had some input on. We have, every, every employee is gonna have a workshop to be able to understand, work through those values. And then ultimately it's gonna be tied to performance management and coaching and performance management. People will be held accountable. So we make this distinction between the job description is what you do, core job responsibilities. How you do it is values. And if I can go one step further to people, I'm sure, who are listening to this from a spiritual point of view, why is values important? I think that that's exactly what life is about. Life is living in a way that has integrity, that, that a way that I'm living true to who I am, and that I feel like I'm making a difference and I'm contributing. So values underpin the meaning in life. Not, not, not being two-faced in a sense. <clears throat> in a sense, you know, I go to work, and I do my work, and then I come back home. And there isn't that, um, that, that interconnection between the true aspect of who I am versus what I do. And, and I mean, it's a nice point, because when someone learns to be a better team player or be more respectful, guess what? Their spouse is gonna notice it. Their children are gonna notice it. Because you can't wear a hat called respect that you wear at work and then you're disrespectful to your spouse uh, or you lose your cool and you feel that's okay because it's my home. When people learn blind spots and work is a great opportunity to learn that, people become more who they were intended to be. And that's, I think, God's mission that we've put, you know, put us onto this earth to do. Work is one of the best places to learn because at home, you can get away with losing your temper forever, whether your spouse accepts it, your kids learn to adjust to it. But at work, 
when we have values and people are being measured on values, that kind of behavior is not going to be tolerated. Now, someone may need to be coached because their short fuse may be tied to something much deeper and they need help to be able to understand where their triggers come from. But a good organization does that. Good organizations have full-time coaches whose job it is to help people in their personal things like temper tantrums or cigarette smoking uh, or listening, poor listening skills. All of those connect to values. They're, that human is becoming a better human being, not just a better worker, because those two are connected. You want the best, you want to be the best company in the world? You have to have the people to be the best they can be. And the best is not just technically, the best is humanly as well. Amazing. <clears throat> and um, do you find, or have you, have you seen uh, individuals that have improved their, we could say their personal lives based on type of work that you do? A hundred percent. If that weren't happening, the company couldn't be any better and I wouldn't have any work. Mm -hmm. um, it has to be that. The, pr the premise we're working from is that when people you know, re-evaluate themselves, see themselves in a new light, I'll give you an example of that. You know, that's how a company gets better. I'll give you an example. This is a bank where an individual had an employee. Which bank could you say? One of the biggest banks in Canada. Okay. Um, where I've worked for many, many years. Uh, that employee, that, the person worked for, for that individual for eight years. And they, he thought they had a good working relationship. On the business side, they did. He noticed her work was there were some errors starting to happen, which was very unusual for her. So he didn't say anything for a week, didn't say anything for two weeks. And by the third week, he's starting to now write down some of the problems that he's noticing with her, and then he calls her in after three weeks. And she says that her husband's in the hospital dying. And he was shocked and hurt that how come she couldn't share that with him? But when he looked at that, his communication with her was just only about work. Monday morning, he would say, tell me what your tasks you're working on and how can I help you on your tasks? But he never talked to her as a human being. So she didn't feel she had permission to, to bring that conversation up. She just held it in and tried to do her best. But it hit him in the eyes, between the eyes, that is that the kind of person that he really wants to be? Somebody who is, the way he saw it in that light, pretty callous. That someone that you thought you had a relationship with, you know, a working relationship with, couldn't bring up something as deep as that, that she's, you know, going through such a difficult time. It made him look at how he was communicating and how, it, you know, and so we did a, one of the sections in our program uh, was emotional intelligence. So he had, in that area, it was low emotional intelligence. But emotional intelligence is learnable, and that example really made him wake up and say, I don't want to be seen that way. That's not the way, he, and, and he had a good heart, but what came out of his mouth wasn't in line with what, where his heart was at. That made him look at how he not just treated his, his, uh, his worker in this particular, his direct report, his but family. He, yeah, because you know, in the same way, and he shared that, that when his son would come and bring a report card, he would, he'd be focusing on, yeah, okay, that was, you did okay, now let's talk about the problem you're having on this, you know, this C or D that you got. And he wouldn't be emotionally connected with his son and the struggles. He wasn't saying, uh, how does it feel to, to be failing in math? And what is it like when you go to your classes? It, to him, it was like, suck it up, you got to get math, now let's, let's, let's go over and review math. And 
you need a tutor in math. Well, you know, that's, that wasn't a healthy relationship between his son over math. So it didn't just change how he treated some of his workers, his direct, directs, but how he treated other people, family members as well. So we, we were having an, an unbelievable conversation, conversations on Friday night in many different ways with different guests that we had. And uh, you were mentioning that you felt that, uh, that Mashiach is going to come or the better world is going to happen uh, via uh, businesses uh, changing. Can you, uh, I thought that that was really interesting. Um, uh, can you expand upon that? So, uh, to me, it's a really important part of why I do the work I do. Because it's not just about you know, earning a living. It's uh, making a difference. And why I believe work it has this great opportunity and, it, and it, it's, in, it's embracing this. It's not just out there in the future. It's happening right now. Um, so first of all, the context from a work point of view is that how do organizations have tried re-engineering and they've been re-engineered. Uh, they've bought all the best technology and robotics. And at the end of the day, the only difference you have is people. Because uh, every company can buy the robotics or, or the software, uh, but they can't buy the hearts and minds of their people. And that's the competitive edge, especially with the kind of competition that exists in this world. You know, with the mom and pop opening up in India and you know, uh, offering their services to people in the United States. Uh, and for that matter, anywhere. So, uh, businesses need to wow customers in ways that, not just by price, you know, that's a, that's a race at the bottom when you're trying to offer the, the lowest price. What you want to offer is the best value. So, what businesses are starting to, to look at is bringing out the best in people. And the reason that I really like it is there's somebody, you know, I give that example before, someone, it, they see themselves as being very respectful. They see themselves as a great team player, having high integrity. But they don't change because they already think they're good at it. In the business world, people are held accountable. And they're given opportunities to learn and grow. So whereas somebody might never change because their wife or spouse is complaining about them, um, but in the work, when your manager is saying, well, here's the feedback, Ron, look at this. You're getting a three. We need to, I need to help you to, to grow here because it's clearly a blind spot. The, what, what Mashiach means, in my mind, is when people have more unity, more care for one another. And if somebody feels they're already there, they're not going to change. In the business world, in order to deliver the best possible service product, to continue to grow, to continue to improve, and that's, that's not going to, you know, it's not like 2020 will reach the end of that. That's, that's just another step along the journey. The expectations of customers, the expectations of employees, the expectations of millennials is very different. Mm -hmm. They expect to be treated differently. Mm -hmm. They expect uh, to be valued. Why is that, by the way? Well, it, it, I, I think it's part of the consciousness. You know, they're the, the next generation mm -hmm. and they're looking at what, what do they want from work. When I, I was a baby boomer, for me, you know, get, having a job and getting promotions and getting more money seemed to be fulfilling. The other side for baby boom, for the millennials, is that businesses aren't growing the same way. They're asked to do more, they're getting less, they need more job satisfaction. If you earn good money and you saw 
you're going to get a promotion because the businesses were growing and throwing money at people. Okay, I didn't get, a, you know, I didn't get the, the same satisfaction, but I seen the trade-off between getting more money was okay. But in today's world, people are looking for a place that they can grow, a place that they can be respected, a place where they're valued. A community, perhaps? Well, that's also true. That's a way, you know, one of the techniques in what we talk about in building a community at work is something called personal emotional connections. And I really like each of those words. It's, it's working and being with colleagues is personal. That's the problem I mentioned that this person at the bank, it wasn't personal. He didn't connect with her personally. And emotional, we need to have connections with people that touch our hearts. And that, organizations invest time to be able to help people build those connections at a personal level, at an emotional level. And I think that when businesses push that and get feedback from their customers of, you know, where are we doing well, how can we improve, and then they come back and help their employees become better, better human beings. Amazing. Then that's what I believe is God has asked us to do. And also the sense of unity mm. that we need, if you have people backstabbing each other in, in a business, that's not unity. Yeah. Mm. Then we're not going to be able to be successful. And in today's world, that, that backstabbing is going to come back to bite the company much faster than yeah. it did 20 years ago exactly. when everybody was backstabbing each other. Because, because there's that, that, that instant connection on, on, uh, uh, online or on you know, social media, whatever it is. <clears throat> Very true. That's another whole dimension of what's happening today. You know, uh, Glassdoor will give you feedback on whether you're a good company or not because employees give feedback and you can't hide that anymore. Uh, all sorts of places where in the hospital world, <clears throat> in the United States, there's, um, they're called HCAPs. It's, it's all the hospitals are evaluated. Uh, the patient's satisfaction levels are, are public information. Mm. So if you have low patient satisfaction, you may find that patients are deciding to go to a different hospital where they have higher patient satisfaction. So now hospitals have to invest and how do you get better patient satisfaction? By having better employee satisfaction. And how do you get better employee satisfaction? We, we live values, measure values, coach on values, mm. build personal emotional connections, help people learn, not just learn technical stuff, that's part of it, but learn communication and value stuff. All of those are elements of building a great, a great organization. I think that that's, that's a way that ripples throughout society. Mm. And it's like a boat rising because the water is rising. Mm. That expectation, because we're, we're experiencing it from a company in, you know, in Las Vegas, that then people get that experience, and when they get a lousy experience in, in Manchester, they're saying, wait a second, I know what better is, I've just experienced it. And online, you can experience it with a click. So it's forced to get better. Uh, I, it's because, peer yes. pressure. It's, it's corporate or business peer pressure. Yeah, the competition is greater. I think the yeah, competition was competition. always there, but better in the past was, well, you know, we'll, we'll build a slightly better quality, but yeah. nobody had really high quality. Today, no. you know, there's, junk isn't being built anymore. No. You have these ISO standards, you know, you've got, uh, when I was a kid, you know, there were cars that were pathetic and when they came off the assembly line, they, they, yeah. they didn't work well. You know, today, whether it's Hyundai in, you know, in South Korea or, or a Volvo in Sweden, you know, BMW in Germany, we have cars coming from around the world that are competing with each other 
to build the best car that yeah. and it's not just you know differentiating on the quality of the car but what kind of level of service am I getting from when I bring it in to be repaired or yeah. uh, get it serviced you know its warranty etc you know when you were saying about the um, about the companies and the companies changing as a catalyst for the rest of the world you know so what what came to mind for me is um, it says about it says about Yaakov about Jacob that um, you know that he that he married Rachel and he married Leah so it says it says that when Zvulun Zvulun who's the sixth son uh, of Leah was born so it says Apam is Beleni Ishi so that's what Leah called him Zvulun because now he's going to be my now he's going to be with me Jacob is going to now be um, the fate or Leah is going to be the favorite of, of, of Jacob, right? After Zvulun, and we know who Zvulun is, he's the, uh, he's the business person, whereas Issachar is, is a Torah scholar. And so it's explained in, in, in Hasidut, it's explained, uh, the Rebbe actually explains this, that Zvulun comes from the word Zvul, that the temple is actually called Zvul, that the, the whole notion of why God created the world is that he wanted to have a dwelling place in this lower world. And he wanted to have this recognition of the lower beings of our, we could say, the heels, right? And, uh, and like you were mentioning, um, just learning from what doesn't work and becoming better and just, you know, and just upping, up our, upping our game, essentially, is where it's all about. And so Zavulun becomes the favorite of Jacob and, uh, and Leah becomes the wife of Jacob because that's the whole purpose of God's descent. Jacob, Yaakov, uh, is about this descent of the higher realms into this lower world and this transformation. So, I, I mean, I, 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 I totally resonated, I mean, with, 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 what you were, with what you were saying and the type of work that you're doing as being completely, you know, where we're going at with this. So, I, I just wanted to ask you, so how does a, um, an, a happy organization or a positive organization look like or an ideal organization look like in your eyes? I'm not sure I'd say ideal in this, because you know, I think every company has its unique spin based on the, you know, its history and its leaders, and that's okay, just like human beings are unique, so I don't know if there's sort of a template for everybody that's the same, but there is some foundations that are similar, uh, and, and the idea, what I said earlier, is that at the foundation of a good organization is there's values and behaviors. At the top of the organization, uh, top like that pyramid, is a higher purpose. That people feel that they're making a difference, that their job is important. So you can be, I remember working for a pharma company, and the shipper could have been treated as a shipper, and uh, they just ship. He saw his job, because his boss framed it that way, that he saves people's lives. Because there's a drug that he sends out that has a 24-hour shelf life, it's got to go into, make it to the operating room to save someone's life. Another example in a hospital uh, where it was actually this story was that this doctor had his father as a patient in, this, in the hospital and 
when, when the, his, his father came out of the hospital, he asked his dad, you know, what was the experience like? And he said, you know, uh, it was wonderful. He said, well, what made it wonderful? And he said, it, you know, it was Luigi. So he went back to work and he said, who's Luigi? He didn't know anybody, Luigi. And someone said, oh, it's, it's the housekeeper. So he went back to his dad and said, you know, what, what did Luigi do? And he said, Luigi knew that it was a Mets fan. And every day he would bring a newspaper, which he probably picked out of the, you know, that somebody had thrown away in the previous room he was cleaning, and opened it up on the sports page. And we talked for two or three minutes as he cleaned the room about the Mets. That's what he remembered. So it's the idea of humanness, humanity, that is the common element here of a great organization. And we're looking for ways to help people be human, be treated as a human being, and therefore treat others as a human. And, but we need a system that allows humanity. Because when we started in a lot of the hospitals, people went into healthcare because they cared. But the system you know, squeezed that out of them. They were working in a bureaucracy where there's paperwork and rules. But we, to bring that back, that element back, uh, to bring that human element back. Yeah, how do you bring that back, really? Well, what, one of the ways that we're talking about is, first of all, catching people doing things right. And, and around living the values and appreciations and even mindfulness practices, bring that into an organization so that people are more centered. And when they're more centered, they can you know, uh, acknowledge each other. So there's recognition and appreciation uh, is another element. Finding out what people get energy by doing and giving them opportunities to do that. So part of flow. Have you found just, just by the way, on mindfulness practices, um, is that something that is um, successful? Or some, that's something that's really um, a trend of the future? It's starting, you're seeing it happen in many, many organizations where uh, it started even at Google, of all places, you know, and it doesn't say started, but one of the, there's a program that they initiated internally called Search Inside Yourself. It turned out to be the most popular program at Google, which is a mindfulness thing. Think about the words, it was find peace, some peace inside yourself. Uh, and then now it's a program being run around the world. So mindfulness is, is being accepted. It's just one tool, one piece of it, but it is saying if you want to be the best you can be and you're scattered, you can't be the best you can be. So let's train you in mindfulness practices. And that helps you when you're feeling scattered at home, to be able to be more present at home. So that's the kind of, of, of flow that's happening in today's world, where we're looking more holistically and accepting that this is a human being we're dealing with, not a human doing, and not just a, a job description of, that we filled, somebody, you know, like a box that needs to be filled in with a human. We're talking about letting people flourish. And I think we're just beginning that, and, uh, and the businesses have, uh, have opened that door when people go through that door, and it's being demanded from customers and millennials, and, um, and profitable companies are being profitable when they go that route. There's some wonderful change that's mm. happening. I see it. I've been part of it, and I can see it growing, uh, going forward. You know, there's there's an unbelievable story about uh, um, 1969 when they sent uh, a man on the moon. So uh, uh, John F. Kennedy walks into NASA, and the story is that he goes into NASA, and he's uh, before they sent a man on the moon. And he's scouting around, he's looking, and, uh, and there's the guy who's, who's, who's sweeping. 
sweeping the area. He says, he says, President, I tell you, by God, we're going to put a man on the moon. And the president looked at him and he said, I believe it. The unbelievable thing is that we are going to put a man on the moon. That that man felt he was putting a man on the moon as a part of NASA. And I, 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 I found that story very, very powerful um, as, uh, you know, and, and perhaps what, what we were talking about, this, this whole notion of, you know, feeling the identification, no matter where you are, what you're doing in the organization, you feel that common value, that shared humanness and importance in, 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 in what you're doing. And that starts at the top? and that ripples to the organization because you can have somebody who's sweeping up to think of themselves as insignificant because they're treated that way or treated as significant. Mm -hmm. and, and because that person can also have ideas and does, does have ideas that can help us uh, grow and do what we want to do well. That's what a culture is. It's a culture that helps people flourish, helps people grow. And I think that's, as I said, that uh, that's what Mashiach is all about. We need people to be working together and caring for each other. And in that world, there's a place for Mashiach to come. Wow, thank you so much, Ron. Really, really appreciate all your insights. And uh, I wanna wish you uh, a lot of success in everything that you're doing because uh, what you're doing is, 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 is incredibly important in, uh, in, uh, in the greater picture. Of, uh, of, 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 of the world and, 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 where, and the type of world that we want to live in. So we want to wish you many, many blessings. And, and certainly for the people listening, that if there's one idea that they can take and implement it at home or at work, do that because that's part of making the world a better place as well. All right. All the best, everyone. Many, many blessings.